The point of this podcast series is to investigate how we can achieve an extremely long compound investing goal. We're talking more than 100 years and we're talking over multiple generations. One of the members of this podcast, Ben, came up with a table which shows that the average Australian saving really hard could, using an index fund as the compounding instrument, achieve more than a billion dollars in net worth over a 108-year period. So this is an extremely long time frame and would require multiple generations. So a grandparent would spend their career investing and then their child and, and a grandchild would have to be involved as well. So this is a significant challenge. And the point of this podcast series is to interview some experts who can assist us to achieve this goal. So in the first episode here, we have a clinical psychologist, Tom Watts. He is the director of U Psychology Adelaide. Tom, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? So um, I'm Tom Watts, a clinical psychologist from New Psychology Adelaide. I suppose I got into psychology originally because it's a, I'm really interested in the idea of human behaviour and the idea of helping people to achieve what it is that they want to be able to achieve in the long term. I guess as we're talking here today about the idea of longer term investment, that sort of overlaps again with that idea of psychology almost as a behavioural coach, the idea of that scientist who is able to understand the, the background of the, the human mind and human behaviour and to work with an individual to try and help them achieve that goal. Uh, in, a, in a clinical setting, obviously, that works towards things like anxiety and depression and traumas and so forth, but psychology is also a really important in behavioural coach towards anything that's going to be difficult for anyone to achieve into the long term. That's perfect. So you've set us off in the right direction. The first topic that I'd like you to talk around, Tom, is introduce us to, to what a human is and the evolutionary context that we've we've been in over the past few hundred thousand years and what that means. Yeah, look, let's uh, start with the big question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, tell us a bit of one. Answer the Lord's questions in 30 seconds, go. But I guess in the context of this long-term investment, we've got uh, really three main variables, don't we? Number one, which is probably the skill and the knowledge of the investor, which I'm sure would be the expertise and areas that you guys will go into in future sessions. The second variable would be the long-term timeframe which is something that I'll get back to. The third one, then, is the human being making that decision. It's really important, I guess, uh, as we're talking about this podcast, this is an artificial intelligence investing. This is a human factor. The human being is involved and processed in that. And the important thing to realise with that is the long-term um, impact that that compounding investment will take, whether it's decades or generations, as you're saying, this is actually really quite different to any type of planning and investing that we as humans have uh, had to do before. Humans have a lot to achieve. We're absolutely incredible when you think about what a human being has achieved over the you know, 400,000 years of Homo sapiens. But there's a lot that we've also not done too well, I'm sure we all agree. Humans aren't infallible. I think they say to err is, is to be human, yeah. and we err a bloody lot. One of the reasons why the idea of the time frame is quite difficult here is that for the majority of the time on this planet, we need to remember that the human beings aren't actually the type of human beings that we're sitting around here. 
Mm. I'm probably just as smelly as my ancestors. <laughs> the idea of my ancestors probably lived more in farms, in huts, in plains. Uh, this is the majority of the time that our brain has developed, the majority of the time that we've learned about the world around us and what makes us tick and how to work through. So you're saying we've been immersed in a, a certain environment that maybe doesn't exist so much today. Absolutely. And it's really important to recognise that although we are, uh, certainly we've come a long way, we're the product of that background. What we've learned as a species um, really determines the concept of that human brain. It's a bit like, you know, trying to work with a computer. You know, computers programmed in a certain way. We just need to modify that computer to make sure it's applicable to now. I've got this image in my mind of the typical loincloth wearing savage. <laughs> that, that was a picture of me. <laughs> That's how I got up this morning. <laughs> it's the point you're making that the biological and chemical architecture, I guess, that we've got at our disposal in our, our bodies and brains has somehow been configured by this millennia's long, you know, hundreds of millennia long exposure mm. to certain stimuli mm. kind of points us in a certain direction. Absolutely. If we want to go back to it just over a timeline, you know, being uh, 2020 this year, Homo sapiens, I don't know, they reckon date back 400,000 years. But the earliest actual recorded bookkeeping of any financial transactions is only 4,600 years ago. Apparently that was in Babylonia. So if you think about that massive difference between 4,600 years and 400,000 years, the majority of the timeline of a human being has actually not been sitting around having interesting podcasts okay. about those types of discussions. Ah, that's profound. The time that we've been spending on this planet, we've been more focusing on running away from that bear or being safe as a result, or eating those berries so we can make sure we're secure and healthy now. And this is why this, for really this idea of short-term survival, short-term gratification, the idea of a longer-term investment, particularly one as profound as the one you guys are proposing, is really quite unusual context of the human brain. Not impossible, but just unusual. We're thinking of acquiring something that's not tangible. Yeah, absolutely. If you're talking about the idea of generations there, you may not actually be the one who gets the fruit of the berries that we're yeah. actually talking about here today. So I guess in the world of um, unpredictable danger, it sort of made sense that we tend to eat berries now and stock up those fat reserves for the next time. Because who knows when those berries won't be available after a flood or a fire or a drought. To store our berries for decades is not only physically impossible when we look back at the history because they'll perish, but also sort of against that concept of our long-term program. In fact, this leads us to a particular theory which we could talk about called um, delayed discounting theory. Oh, great. Well, discounting's part of doing a discount cash flow analysis. So <laughs> right. we're all here, Tom. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what you psychologists... That's exactly discounting in that way. Um, so delayed discounting theory is another way to describe exactly what we're talking about here. But we can put it into more of a, a, a theoretical experimental concept. So it describes how uh, experiments have consistently shown that the value that you actually apply, the individual applies to an overall reward, e.g. a future profit, actually decreases the longer that you predict you have to wait for the reward. Oh, wow, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to give up now. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> um, so it's like, for instance, it makes sense that most people, and you know, 
see this from, from studies, and I'm sure most people listening with might agree, that uh, they would prefer the option to take $10 right now today rather than wait a month or three to come back and get $15. Hmm. But we can take that further. Experiments have actually shown that over the many decades that um, we can actually measure if we interact and change with the amount of time the participant has to wait before they accept that profit, they're actually uh, less like they're actually less likely to want to accept that type of profit. As you increase the wait time, they'll be more likely to accept an immediate amount and give up on a long-term profit. So really, it's a bit of a balance between time and the actual profit itself which ultimately determines the value that you apply to it. Is it worth it? Mm. This is actually something that we can explore through an actual theory. So we've got Mazur in 1987 in the Journal of Quantitative Analysis of Behaviour, who actually um, proposed a mathematical theory on this. Also awesome. considering you were talking about math. So basically what it looks like, and I'll explain what it means, is B equals A divided by 1 plus KD. What does that mean? Well, V is the perceived value of the reward. Basically, that idea of when we think it's best to transfer from happy for an immediate response or I'm happy to delay gratification to get a longer response. What that's equal to is the amount of the reward, how much I predict I'll get, divided by the delay to the reward, and then that gets multiplied by K. Now, K is a little bit more um, ambiguous and harder to explain today, but K is basically how much the value is affected by the proposed delay to the free variable. So you can see that as you modify any of these variables, we can actually interact and change the value that you apply to that longer-term investment. Okay, well, we've got a, a couple of numbers to plug into your formula. table that Ben made that I, I started off the podcast talking about says that you need 108 years of saving $35,000 per year and basically using that money to buy shares in an index fund which tracks the performance of the Australian market. So after inflation, you could basically bank on that going up 7.5% per year and you're going to repeat that 108 times for 108 years. So, yeah, um, can, can we, it makes me think we should try and plug these numbers into the formula. Well, <laughs> it certainly could be something you could explain. So in that formula, the future value sounds quite clear. The delay is, as you say, the time period. And K essentially represents your risk, doesn't it? It's that uncertainty component. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I would say so, or, or, or K, depending on, on how you look at it, could also be, um, you know, let's say over time, um, that drop on the line graph over time and delay, is over it, um, outcome and delay. Is it somehow hedonic? Um, like, if it, it's fascinating actually to think, because like $1.3 billion on the one hand is, Stupendous. It's beyond mm. imagination um, mm. what you could do. But at the same time, 108 years, especially when you're thinking about you, as you pointed out, mm. not necessarily being the one that would uh, register that benefit, but rather um, someone genetically related to you, um, at least, at least, mm. you know, you've got that uh, incentive. 
Um, the tricky thing with the 108 years is that the, all the unforeseen events, if you go back 108 years from today, you we've been through two world wars. Um, mm -hmm. There's been great, great uncertainty. I mean, if you had a played out the 108 years and you happen to be a person living in Europe um, through those two world wars, whether your family would have survived, whether the, the actual assets that you had would have continued mm. to get transferred going forward. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty there. Definitely. And all of these are factors or variables in that equation. And Will, you described the amount that you'd earn is stupendous. And I think uh, we're also saying that the amount of time is stupendous too. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere along the middle, there is that B factor, factor of how much value is this worth to me as okay. an individual and at what point is it worth actually investing into it. So there's been some research then, um, experimental research it sounds, um, in psychology about these concepts. So well done, Tom, for digging that up. We've introduced a very long-term goal which has uh, an incredibly positive outcome. Tom, you've introduced us to the challenges of understanding or even conceiving of the value of, of achieving that goal, given the biologically and evolutionarily driven uh, mechanism that we are as humans, where essentially we're confronted with an evolutionary novel um, environment living in cities ourselves and the kind of concept where we're, we're planning to accumulate uh, this intangible asset is also doesn't fit into uh, the evolutionary context that we have evolved in so basically it's kind of like the opposite of the, the short-term set of threats and, and incentives that that we've been exposed to as humans evolving. So we, basically the point is that we come, we come to this challenge completely unprepared. I remember when, when we were discussing doing this podcast, you talked about uh, these things called neurotransmitters hmm. and how there's a particular one that, that matters in this context. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when we talk about the idea of drive towards short-term uh, gratification um, as over long-term gratification, what we're actually talking about behind the scenes or one of the most important neurotransmitters is something that's called dopamine. So when I experience something positive and meaningful, which works towards my value, something that's important to me, so for example of eating those berries, which is beneficial for survival, our brain will naturally release the dopamine neurotransmitter. Dopamine makes us feel good. It's, um, it's something that makes us more likely then that we'll do that thing again. And as such, even the most simple of creatures, a naive newborn baby, is more likely to do something again if there's a dopamine response. So being close to mum, for instance, releases a dopamine response. Drinking the breast milk is a dopamine response. Wow. Driving that baby is very naive to the world towards some certain directions. And as human beings, that's sort of fundamental to a lot of the things that we do. Behind the scenes, at least, our, our thoughts and processing is also important there as well. But the concept of dopamine is really quite important behind the scenes. So does it basically cause you to feel good or it causes warm fuzzies or what's... Uh, yes and no. Um, exactly is going to depend a lot. There's a lot to do with brain science. There's sort of the there's two final frontiers in the world, space, according to Star Trek, <laughs> and um, brain, I would say, as well. But what we know is that dopamine is really important for the concept of reward. In fact, you know, you're going to go in the line of warm fuzzies, um, a lot of drugs, so, you know, 
cocaine and all the like, um, what that doing is actually is hijacking those dopamine systems. Right. It's actually causing you to have um, a dopamine rush. Ah. There's a really unusual amount of dopamine um, and it's leading to a sense of, of um, dependence and addiction. Oh, I'll do that again. Yeah. Um, but into a more normal extent, that idea of being able to eat that berry, I get a dopamine um, experience is more likely to reinforce, more likely to strengthen the action that I'm taking. Perfect. So, so Tom, you've just given me a vision. I think I have a plan. What we want then is someone with the vigor of a crack cocaine addict pursuing our compounding goal. <laughs> if you actually so, need someone that overrides that dopamine um, factor yeah. so you is that where we're heading i agree 100 percent um so rather than being a slave to <laughs> the investing like a, like an addict rather we are able to step in and recognize that this is something because it's long term we're unlikely to be able to get that dopamine hit like we normally would um that sense of reward isn't necessarily intrinsically in there and as you know you guys are saying it so the generations you may not get the reward at all so we need to be there to create some of that sense of dopamine behind the scenes might help us then in going forward well, one term i came up with was, was the idea of it like a dopamine drought mm. we're, we're putting ourselves at risk of although i have to say like once you hit the one one billion dollar number you will get <laughs> The mother of all dopamine releases that anybody has ever had. But it's at the cost of putting yourself through the worst dopamine drought that you've ever had in your life. Exactly right. That, that idea of not picking the berries to eat for now, but sacrificing them for a, a stupendous amount of time, to use that word again, um, we're not only going against our tried and true survival program, which takes a lot of effort and, and deliberate planning, but it's also receiving none or very little of that dopamine reinforcement along the way. It's not intrinsically going to be rewarding ourselves to go forward. It's up to the human being to reward themselves yep. as they go forward. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah. Um, you got any comments, Ben? Yeah, I was just curious around that topic. Do you end up setting short-term goals and then rewarding yourself you know, with a nice meal or something, you, once you hit a million dollars in, in your um, investment account and then once you have another goal of four million, ten million and so forth, and once you hit each one of those, you reward yourself with some sort of whatever it may be, holiday. Absolutely. I, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head there, that idea of almost scheduling in those dopamine reinforcements that would otherwise have happened if it was a short-term experience. You're breaking that long-term journey into a lot of short-term pit stops. And each pit stop, if we schedule it right, is an opportunity for a dopamine creation. What I would suggest is often the idea of what we want to do more so, and this is coming from a psychological perspective, is probably we want to be reinforcing, and that's what dopamine does, but reinforcing the actions that we're taking as opposed to necessarily reinforcing the outcome. Mm. So if I'm going to hedge my bets on the idea that once I hit that first million dollars, I'm going to reinforce myself, <laughs> I think as Bill said, we're probably going to get a sense of dopamine just from that first one. But what if I don't hit that first? What if something gets in the way? At that point, there is definitely no dopamine in it. 
it and I'm more likely to actually see it as a net loss and I'm going to walk away from that. I'm not, not, not so likely to be motivated to keep on going forward. So one of the things we often look at in psychology is the idea of reinforcing action. So if I can follow a certain path, regardless of the outcome, I can reinforce the efforts that I put in. That dopamine response, or at least acknowledgement of what it is that I've achieved, can allow me to step back now. And if it was less than perfect, maybe to readjust, maybe to reevaluate what is my plan going on forward, as opposed to reinforcing the outcome. Mm. So you're talking about using the neurotransmitter dopamine to encourage people to keep engaging in these positive activities or behaviors, mm. which consistently applied over the long term will lead to this highly desirable outcome. Mm, absolutely, okay. I, I would say so. Um, in fact, if we, you know, sometimes even looking at the idea of what happens when we achieve a expected or unexpected win in the interim, it can actually be counterproductive. Sometimes that financial win in the interim can actually reduce motivation. Mm. So here I am saying, oh, look, I've, I've won this or I've achieved this, I'm going to put my feet up for a while. Mm. Um, <laughs> that might not actually be what we need to be doing at that time. So reinforcing the action is the way to go forward. I remember when I did Asian studies, I studied Japanese and I studied kanji, which is the Japanese writing system. And a lot of people found that very painful and hard to actually study just because it was a monotonous rote style of learning. But I really dedicated myself to it and just did quite a number of hours each week studying the Japanese kanji. Um, and you get to a level where you, you develop a greater interest in it, even though it wasn't initially um, that interesting to do at the start. So as you build up your capability, you build up your, um, your interest in a topic. Um, and that's sort of that idea of setting yourself those really important and measurable interim goals that we're talking about. So, so that idea of being able to say, this is what I'm gonna do. I have the confidence to do it because I believe in it. But I've also got the confidence in myself and the confidence in the world around me to allow me to do that. I'm fortunate enough to be in a place that I can. Um, we, we can set up some, some goals to help us get through. But one of the ways that can be helpful to think about how to set up a goal is the idea of something that we call SMART goals. Um, SMART being an acronym, S-M-A-R-T. Um, if we can follow each of these steps in the acronym, it tends to give us a greater chance of being successful towards achieving a goal rather than that idea of this is what I want to do and I'll just work towards it. Sometimes a little bit of practice and homework behind the scenes, not just in the skill and merit of investing, but in the skill and merit of setting up an appropriate goal mm. can actually improve our chance of getting there. Great. Can you, you just explain what a SMART goal is? So um, S-M-A-R-T. Uh, S stands for specific. So what is it exactly? that I am working towards achieving. It's the idea of, you know, to earn more money. Well, that's certainly what we're looking at, but that's very generic and vague. What exactly am I working towards at that time point? What would it look like? How will I actually get there? Is it a dollar amount? Is it the amount of effort or hours that I've put into it? 
is it the amount of research I've done? What exactly would that be at that time point? Um, the next one, M, would be measurable. So how do I measure the fact that I either have or haven't achieved that specific goal? Um, it's more than just a feeling, more than that, that gut feeling that I think I've done it right. Um, measurable would be that idea of um, how can I evaluate on a checklist to say whether it's been done or not. Often, if we skip that idea of it being measurable, we, we can get to the point where this thing seems so vague and nebulous that it's quite difficult to put my finger on it and evaluate how I'm going so far. So I'm less likely to keep an eye on it, to, keep, to be aware of my progress, and less likely to get that dopamine response. A is achievable. Is what I'm aiming for actually achievable <laughs> at a time frame? <laughs> that, that idea of achieving you know, X dollars or achieving X hours of study, can I actually do that in the time frame? If I can't, well, now is the point to stop and reevaluate. R is relevant. Is it actually relevant to you as an individual? This isn't the goal that, you know, a mentor told you to set. This isn't a goal that you'd like to do to impress your friends or your family. This is something that's relevant to you because this takes motivation and you need to pull out from your own stores, not rely on someone else or battle down a path you think is the right path. And lastly is T for timely. So how long is it likely to take to get to that point? But also, is it the right time to be starting this now? Should I be waiting for a little bit longer? I'm 20 years late. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well give up. <laughs> I'm going to need four generations, <laughs> not three. So that's your, your smart goals. What we can do is actually make them smarter. So we can E for evaluate. So once we get to that time point, we can evaluate. How did I go? Did I achieve it? Did I not? Remember, my goal was measurable so I could do this. And then R, the smarter, um, I can review. How can I set this next period of time when I'm going to check in next time to make it more likely that I'll be successful this next time round? So there's an inbuilt fail-safe mechanism as opposed to that sense of, of failure and stepping away and feeling dejected. Oh, I'm sorry, could you say what the second R was? Or yeah, our, our second R is review. Review. So once we evaluate, did I achieve that measurable goal? We review back over it. And that would be changing either S, M, A, R or T. Tweaking and tinkering okay. them until they fall more likely into place. Yep. Given that you've just had the experience now of the last X number of weeks, days, months of years. Yep. If we go from the start and review, say, <laughs> so, I think um, perhaps I wasn't pointy enough or pointed enough in the, the introduction. Maybe I should have said, say we start with someone who's living in poverty. Say this person gets the average education that an average Australian gets and they end up with a job that gets them the average salary that the average Australian gets over their lifetime, which is $85,000 a year, by the way. Say they have the average living costs of the average Australian, and they show a singular focus on saving. So uh, spending less than they earn. And say they repeat this saving behavior throughout their entire 47 year career from age 18 to 65. 
then what that table that Ben came up with shows is that if they do that for their entire career and their child does that for their entire career and their grandchild also, then over that 108 year period, $1.3 billion will be the outcome. And that's a, it's an incredibly uncommon <laughs> or unexpected outcome for a, a repetitive behavior of an average Australian. I think that's, that's the, the key sort of surprising and interesting sort of fact that we're investigating here. And what you said, Tom, is that because of our evolutionary career as a species, we don't necessarily come hardwired to re really naturally at our reward systems and our, the, the mechanism that delivers dopamine to us, which reinforces certain behaviors, doesn't really uh, come prepackaged when we're born as humans to reinforce behaviors that are conducive to achieving this goal and repeating this saving behavior over such a long period. And we, we talked about the concept of a, a dopamine drought, therefore, because this system, the, the problem we're facing doesn't speak the language of the system we're trying to atta attack the problem with. And then, Tom, you've said that we can use our minds, basically, to harness this system or to hack the system or to some, somehow translate the challenge we're trying to, to the goal we're trying to achieve, we're going to translate the language of that into the language of our dopamine reinforcement system. And you're, you're talking about these a way of formulating our goal-seeking behavior using this smart or smarter system. How am I going there in terms of a summary, uh, Ben and yeah. Tom? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a reasonable summary, that idea of using our, being aware of how our brain is structured and stepping there ahead of time, given that it's going to be a long period of time we're going to be doing this for, to use that programming in our advantage with some strategic moves going forward. Yeah. And I loved your, um, the research you did about how accounting behaviour as a species has only been around for 4,600 years, whereas we've been evolving for 400,000 years. So that basically says all of the biological and evolutionary momentum that we have doesn't even recognize what we're trying to, what we're trying to do. So, so that sense of value then comes in. Longer term generational progress, it's certainly possible that we can do this, but that takes a really highly strategic effort to be able to achieve something like that. And I guess we've been talking a little bit today about some of the ways of hacking in to that brain that we've got to be able to achieve these more unusual things. I feel like I want you to, Tom, talk a bit more, even repeat this SMART and SMARTER acronym, or if you've got any other remarks or experience. I've got another strategy yeah, that we please. can use to harness more of this dopamine yep. stuff. Yep. Well, another way of utilising um, this idea that we're not going to be experiencing these dopamine hits as our usual learning strategy requires, um, but also realising what we said before about that idea of delay discounting, that the value that you apply to your long-term goal reduces as the length of time increases. Um, what we can do is that there's a strategy that psychologists have formulated to try and work with delay discounting. 
Um, and I think it's just as applicable here, if not even more important, given the incredible length of time we're talking about here. And it's a strategy that's called episodic future thinking, if anyone wants to look it up. <laughs> Basically, though, in a nutshell. Googling right now. <laughs> episodic future thinking really is the idea of scheduling in time in advance, knowing that I'm going to be um, scheduling in the time to imagine myself experiencing the fruits of my labour in the future as if it's happening right now. That really does sound like tricking your brain. <laughs> it, 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 it does. And this is sort of tapping into that idea of value. If it isn't important, if it isn't a value of mine, why on earth do I want to put the effort into doing it? We want to make sure it goes from just being a, a homework task that someone set us to something that's actually connected to our core values, something that's important to us. That's where we get the motivation. That's where we get the dopamine. And that's where we get the more likely to reinforce those smart goals. So, so what do we do? Well, we imagine ourselves accessing those profits at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. We imagine very clearly the impact that it will have on your life at that point. We imagine the look on the faces of the people whose lives you've improved through these actions. Yeah. You imagine that celebratory holiday or lounging on that beach, the breeze in your hair, the sun in your face, saying goodbye to your boss and sticking that middle finger up. All of those things. You, you imagine that moment as if it's happening right now. I mean, it is very fanciful, but this is ultimately playing with our emotion. This is, this is yeah. allowing us to realise what it is that I'm doing here is really important. Yeah. Playing with the concept of value. And we go back to that equation we spoke about before. It's not just value. It's also playing with the concept of time. I'm feeling as though it's happening sooner than it actually is. I'm not tricking myself. I know very well what it is that I'm doing. I'm not in a time machine. But I, I'm playing with it as if it's a little bit more tangible than it appears right now looking at that many years into the future. Is it basically periodically reacquainting yourself with why you're doing it? Exactly. Exactly right. That would be a succinct way of putting it. So there are a couple of steps that you can take that improve the chance of being successful if you were to use episodic future These are making sure that, number one, that the thing that you're imagining is related to the goal. Is this actually what's going to happen from the investment? If you're doing something that's not likely to happen from it, then you're basically tricking yourself and the one person you can't trick is yourself. <laughs> the second thing is making sure that it's actually positive but enjoyable to you. Again, remember, we're hacking into that concept of value and dopamine and reinforcement. Um, if imagining yourself sitting on that beach is the most irritating thing, obviously <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Imagine it in a way that's important to you. So what exactly is your value? Why exactly are you doing it? Is it, is it you know, is setting your grandchildren up? Well, focus on that. Well, whatever it is, make sure it's positive and related to your value. The third one is make sure it's exciting. It needs to, the imagery needs to energise you. The energy it needs to be able to motivate you to go on forward. Four, make sure it's realistic. Again, realistic is also on the smart goals as well, if you remember. Realistic, is it likely to actually happen? Is this a reasonable conclusion? If it's not, then again, you're kidding yourself and it ain't going to work. And five is make it vivid. Explore it through your senses. Take that time, close your eyes 
and imagine. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What could you taste? What could you touch? Paint that image in your mind. Sit there and lap it up and appreciate it and enjoy it. Yes, it is a nice little recess break, <laughs> and we have to open our eyes and get back to reality. I'm just sitting in my little crappy flat. Don't don't do it 24 hours seven. Never leave your house. Yeah. <laughs> just sitting at home uh, daydreaming all day. <laughs> and then don't even do anything. Just we will plug into the matrix. I've got to go and actually earn the money. <laughs> It, it's, it's another way on forward. Again, it's the idea of using strategies. There's no tried and true one-size-fits-all approach. But we spoke about a few things today, and these are all evidence behind them. But it's about also working out what's going to work for the individual and making sure that you're comfortable with these approaches. I love it. And I think there's a, an element of liberation here. Because, for example, poker machines, a lot of psychology research has gone into making those as enticing as possible. Essentially, hacking, as, as we're trying to do, hacking the dopamine reinforcement system that, that we all come into the world with and, and a lot of us unknowingly go around being the product of. So I like the idea of using this research that so many businesses that exploit us use. Maybe we can start to liberate people and starting with ourselves to start putting, keeping that money in our pockets rather than having it essentially hacked out of our pockets. So I feel it's really great having, having you here, Tom. Thank you. Representing the psychology profession in a way to, to help liberate people. When you went through that list of different criteria, I thought there are certain movies, if you think about going the movie-going experience, often the movie is very positive, it's exciting, it can be quite vivid. Depending on the movie, it can be realistic. And there is the potential for those sort of things to to happen so I don't know whether it's watching a movie could meet, meet that criteria of the episodic future thinking. It certainly is possible again that idea of using these strategies as what works on average this is what happens in experiments when we average it over thousands or hundreds of thousands of participants but each individual in those studies, or each individual out in the world, including you, me, and everyone else, we may want to modify these approaches to work best for us. And if you've found a video, a movie, or a video, or a song, or a, um, a person you can interact with, or a book you can read that helps you tap into that, makes it more vivid, makes it more real, but is actually related to your values, then absolutely, I don't see why not. Just make sure that are, they are your values that are being explored by that movie. Ben, did you have any? Uh, um, no, no extra questions or, or thoughts other than just thanks for thanks to Tom for putting in all the effort to think this through at a deeper layer than just the general. You're more than welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to get a talk about it. I think it's a very exciting thing that you guys are, are looking into. And I really admire the way that you're looking past more than just the mechanics of investment and being aware of the bigger picture. Do you maintain a website or any other online presence where people can follow up about you? So I'm more than happy to be contacted by anyone around the world. If you feel that tapping into the science and support of psychology may be useful as you move forward with investing, 
or even using the science and support towards improving mental health concerns, quality of life, or general mental health well-being. I can be contacted at youpsychology, spelt Y-O-U, psychology.com.au.